Hello, dear friends. Good morning, Thanksgiving. Uh, I would like to introduce to you for the very second time, Adrian and Kathleen Cook. Yeah, uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a real fun and emotionally fraught wedding for Daddy here. And I almost broke my neck because I gave away the bride. Then I had to jump over the back of her dress train to help co-officiate with Adrian. And that, that was a rough transition here. So, but it worked. We survived. And you guys are back from your honeymoon. And now I'm just, uh, yeah, it's a lot of adjustment for us. Um, I wanted to do something today. This is kind of in between. We just had Thanksgiving, which is awesome. And most of you know that I've got this weird thing where I start thinking about Christmas in, um, after Halloween, and I continue into the 12th day of Greek Orthodox Christmas. So, but really, we're going to be entering next week, and we've got some really special uh, 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 thing going on there, and we're going to have uh, um, uh, Tori for the first time here at CV preaching, and I'm super excited, and uh, just super excited uh, for the uh, work that you guys are putting into the Advent series, but we're in this little kind of a done-in-one is what I call them here, and I just wanted to share uh, uh, two things that are really close to my heart, just more like I would if I were sitting in the living room than like this uh, super oiled uh, presentation or anything, not that I've ever done anything that's super oiled uh, at all, um, uh, but uh, I was thinking about uh, the two most important things, well, I would say three, I would add humility of three, but I'll just focus on two, the two th- important things to change the world are slowness and smallness, slow things and small things are really what make the biggest change in our life. And, uh, you know, before I was a pastor, I had a, I had a real job. And I remember going to sales conferences and Brian Tracy seminars, which they're all helpful and stuff like that, and basically learning how to make these big, they call them BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. And you would write this crazy thing, and you would go to it and everything, and everyone's, like, talking about it. And I remember my friend Nick and I would work together. We would just basically talk about, you know, all this is just learning how to grandiosely BS with one another during staff meetings. And so we used, when everyone's talking about, what are, your strategic, uh, what are your strategic initiatives going forward? We would just whisper each other, BS, 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 because we just thought it, it wasn't real. And I'm thinking like, very, now there are sometimes there's radical seismic changes that happen in our life, like your wedding day, getting married. But really, the first step of that was probably a lot of little conversations where your roommates were kind of slowly pressuring you, the slow burn, to get on this Christian dating site. All right? I mean, that first thing, like that mouse click, and then actually checking your profile and this stuff, and I look at all those small little steps, or you know, even the small step, Kathleen, of you like for three years having the most rigorous pre-qualification process, where everyone would just not even make it in the front door. Just you just see slow little practices. So even the most seismic change in your life 
was really slow, was really slow. And I think of this time becoming an empty nester has been really slow. I can't tell you, oh, I noticed my kid grew today. But somehow, I remember measuring them from 11 weeks being the size of a little, one of those little tiny shrimp to uh, boat, you know, where they're at now. Slow and small changes the world. And um, I started thinking now, if you're like me, it's like I'm like the guy that needs constant stimulation, ADD, which really means like keeping trains of thought magnetized to the track of thought is really hard. And sometimes drinking like a lot of coffee or Adderall or something can help with that, right? To magnetize the track. And I found out is what I really needed in life is I needed extra stimulation, but I needed slowness. And I needed small victories because I generally couldn't think in terms of project. I could only concentrate on next actions. Like I can think of here's where I want to be and here's the next step and everything else is totally beyond me. And I found out there's issues with how your brain is formed and perception of time even affects that. So this thing that I had a hard time doing, slowing down, I realized could be done and was the most important thing to be done uh, to be able to grow. And as we're entering into Advent, in a pre-industrial society, like most of us think of how life's going to get crazy because we have all these things to do. We have holidays to go to. We have people to buy for. We want to decorate our house. Uh, we've got to make a certain amount of money to get a certain Christmas bonus, some of us, or some of us, you know, have all these things we're endeavoring to do where it's like we have to hurry up so we can slow down for a couple days. And, but in pre-industrial society, it's like, wow, the nights are longer. There's less time to work. If you live and work agrarian, circadian rhythm, this is the least productive time of the year. And, uh, you know, for agrarian societies where they had to plan, like if you live in a cold climate, you have to put back food for the cold season. That's why in warm climates, you can kind of get by because you have trees that are bearing fruit. Like in an equatorial climate, there's food year-round. But in a cold climate, you plan for that darkest time of the year. And the worry of ancient, especially pagan societies, is are we going to have another warm season? So then we got to do these things. So the reason why cold climate people tend to be more time-oriented than serious because survival depends on planning ahead. Warm climate guys, like people that maybe uh, their lineage, at least maybe not as genetically, but culturally is a Greek lineage, well, we can always go fishing, you know? So party up, bring the ouzo. Don't take life too seriously, you know? So that's the warm climate. So where I come from more of a warm climate culture, my wife is, uh, you know, uh, got this, uh, you know, Scottish thing where, you know, the barren fields won't bear any food during the winter and, you know, whatever. So, but there's this idea that in Advent, what I love is how in early church, how they kind of took these pagan holidays and juxtaposed the real story above the shallow story. And people would say, you know, well, you know, Christmas is just a dressed up pagan holiday. I said, yeah, and isn't it a pretty dress? That pagan holiday did not look good till it was wearing that dress. It is a dressed up pagan holiday. People fear darkness. At Christmas time, we say, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend. In fact, you would almost think these seasons like fertility, new birth. Hey, this is around the time Jesus uh, was died and rose again celebrating new life. 
we're thinking of all these pagan holidays were just naked and complete holidays, and we got to really bring the real love and in some cases get rid of the human sacrifice bit, which was a bonus. So, you know, my, especially in, in a Clintonville where we're really kind of a, a, a more pagan type community, I like to, I really am excited about the pagan heritage of my holidays because each holiday has a great twist ending to the story that ended up into a real holy day. So as we're preparing for uh, Advent, I, I wanted to talk about slowing because what we do is Advent, next Sunday is New Year's Day for the church. We begin, the Christian calendar begins with Advent. And so this would be like the pre-New Year's story of resolutions or uh, people would say, I don't do resolutions, I have a revolution. But so many people make grandiose goals for New Year's. And I just want to talk about the idea that each of us could have one small, tiny change that can eventually give birth to something else small. And everything that's changed in my life for the good has been slower than my shame voice tells me it should be. Shame voice tells me, you know, after the holidays, man, I gained 20 pounds, and then I'll go, you know, drink three Red Bull, get my Planet Fitness membership that I'll pay for and barely use the rest of the year, and do the treadmill, so I can just do this all day, boom, 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 and then I maybe show up two more times, and it's done. Anything really big or radical I've tried to change in my life has just become another page in my shame diary. You feel me? But the problem is, with all the slow things that change in my life, is sometimes you don't realize how much you've changed. With the slow things, um, my most consistent prayer over the last 20, let's see, I've been married 27 years, so 26 years, because you know, in the first year you really find out how broken you are. A marriage. You know, I'm not to be doom and gloom. It's just, guys, it's just, you know, I thought I was a sinner, then I got married, and oh my gosh, and then I had kids. When you decenter your life from getting your own way, it's rough. So, it, but the first year of marriage, you know, I realized, man, I've got a problem with forgiveness, and coincidentally, a problem with anger and bitterness. You know, and I realized there was a couple of painful things in my life that. Uh, really were formative me, and I haven't forgiven. Now, part of my not forgiving was this. Oh, it's nothing. I had a passive way of not forgiving people, and that's what I would just diminish the effect it had on my life. And therefore, I didn't feel the pain of that. I would diminish, uh, but the thing is, if you, it is not like you're not just being a whiny complainer to look back to your childhood and first formation to find healing. Because just think of this, the more things, like I'll just say this to my daughter, you guys can leave. Kathleen, the more things you can find that I have maybe had in your mom have had shortcomings in that you need to forgive us in, just means the better my life's gonna be because the more you'll be able to freely interact with me, the more you practice forgiveness for me and even bring things up periodically, I can repent. I can relieve burdens I didn't even know I had, and we can be closer. So that slow process of forgiveness in the last 20-some years, I've, I made progress here and there, but I didn't know the level of which you could be angry when someone hurts your loved ones. 
you know, when someone hurts you, it's one thing. When they hurt your spouse, I, you know, I thought I had things to forgive from my family of origin, then I got married. And boy, I start, and then some of my, my brokenness would come out during the stressful times of Adrian, and I, I got professional counseling as well as kind of a spiritual, sage-like, elderly person to meet with me, and just, uh, her name was Sybil, and she's with the Lord now, and basically 90% of what she talked to me about is forgiveness, you know, bitter vows and bitter root judgments, which became a theme in my life. And I got to tell you, uh, she would pray for me and goes, well, we've dealt with that. And I said, but I maybe would change almost nothing. And 90% of my prayers were, and I'm talking for decades, were kind of like, God, I forgive, help my own forgiveness. God, I believe, help my own belief. Most of my prayers were static, non-emotional, with a strong dose of maybe frustration if there was emotion, things where it seemed like nothing happened for years. But I just, I've had a couple things happen. You know, weddings are things you see all family members, you have all these people come together. I realized, wow, I'm not angry anymore about certain things 27 years later. Now, there's been change among the time. I know you've seen this, Kathleen, and uh, me, I hope. <laughs> it's like, where thing, like the things that would set me off, like the amount of times I needed to process how someone wronged someone I loved with other people processing. And now, man, neuroscience has like ruined this for me because I said, yeah, the first couple times you process with someone are helpful, but if you keep rehearsing it, it actually does neurological damage and forms bitterness in your life. So I'm like, ooh, I made this, I processed maybe a little too much. That's why it's important to process things with spiritually mature people because they'll help you put it to bed, not how to keep it up all night. That bitterness deal. But... Um, when I'm looking at that, the amount of people I can look on with affection, and I've noticed the, the years it takes to forgive certain things have kind of went to months to weeks. And I just probably want to share this this morning. Something occurred to me. Something happened within the last uh, 60 hours where uh, a, a loved, loved one of mine, which I've got several of them, you know, wife, uh, a daughter, a son, a new son, and some adjacent people to that, but someone very dear to me was, was hurt in a way that uh, upset me at such a dramatic level. I mean, upset me to the point of like, I want to go sort this out. Upset me to the point where I'd, my mind went to some dark places, you know, thinking like, like I know exactly you know, I, my favorite thing to do in the world is encourage people and just watch their lives and see what God's doing and where are maybe some pain points and where are some blessing points to encourage and stuff. Problem is, is if I'm not walking in the Spirit, I can also just see people's weaknesses. You know what I mean? That, that you know, seeing weaknesses is good for physicians and uh, mixed martial artists. <laughs> you know, but, you know, go for the knee, sweep the leg, <laughs> whatever. I don't, but... My mind went to such a dark place, and I already had like some of like 21-year-old Jeff's ways of messing. And within an hour and a half, I ended up having a communication with that person unexpectedly. I've been praying and talk, wrestling with God 
And at that moment, I felt nothing but love and compassion for how I responded to them. And literally, this person, let me just say, they did something that was omega level bad. They did something that, I mean, to me would be like something like if it happened to me uh, 20 years ago, I would have probably been in therapy dealing with it for a year. Just learning, because my I have an obsessive, that was before I was treated for obsessive compulsive disorder too. So my thoughts would cycle nonstop and they would tend towards the negative. And I realized stuff that was smaller took me years to actually fully release the person to God. And, they, and mostly, I hope not most, and literally I had an hour and a half to let go of a resentment. And I'm like, I can't tell you when that happened, guys. I didn't have some Holy Spirit moment where, I mean, I've had a lot of times where I've like been prayed for, sometimes even fell down, I, could bear, I couldn't stand, I would just, you know, or maybe overcome with laughter or overcome with tears. But it wasn't any of those huge phenomenological manifestations where I actually had to change that big. It literally, I cannot tell you when it changed anymore. I cannot tell you when my daughter went from two feet tall to three feet tall. I can't tell you. It was all slow things. And frankly, it was having a phoned-in liturgy of non-ornate praying, of just, I, uh, I believe, help my unbelief. I forgive, help my unforgiveness. Receiving prayer. When I... Uh, started meeting with, uh, 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 formally meeting with the spiritual director, which uh, you can Google spiritual direction and learn all about what that is, but it's actually someone who's kind of out, coaching me outside of my relational system, who's really helping me uh, uh, speak truth to me and notice, like ask good questions, and basically someone who has the gift of holy noticing and noticing opportunities to celebrate what God. God's doing and make room for more. And I started, uh, uh, I'm, so let's try to think of it, probably about 2007. And you know, after the, these talk sessions, what always ended up, God ended up speaking to me is the necessity of patience, slowness, and forgiveness. And patience and slowness are kind of the same thing. And it was over like one or two issues that I was impatient about and a couple issues where I had fear or forget. By the way, you know you haven't dealt with forgiveness issues if there's any level of inordinate fear or paranoia in your life. If you find your relationships being compromised because you're protective, then it means, bingo, you've won the lottery because now you know there's an opportunity for slow work of God in your life. Now, some of you that are, you know, older or in the 50s or more like me, you know, there comes a season even with long-term growth where you feel fatigue. There are seasons where you don't feel much growth. And I feel like the whole, so many of us felt like that we went backwards during COVID. Do you, who fear, feels here like your emotional, spiritual, physical capacities rolled back on, be, at starting at COVID and haven't bounced back to this day? Anyone? I mean... And so not only this season of life where maybe you feel like you've kind of reached this uh, stasis point, but we all had what seems like a going back. But um, ironically, I think it's during that time that 
God secretly, slowly began to help come to fruition these long forgiveness paths I've been on. So I want to read a scripture. And there's so many places in the Bible. I actually looked up in, I have a simple note application that used to be notational velocity. And I've written down my thoughts in this application or copied things I find meaningful since uh, 2002. So in one version or another. And so I, if I look up slowness or slow or slow kingdom, and every thought I've had since 2002 pops up, and I'm just reading like the different passages where I saw this. I'm only going to read um, in Matthew here since we've been kind of sticking in Matthew. This is Matthew 13. Smallness and slowness. Matthew 13 starts with the parable of the sower, where essentially a very small amount of seeds out of all the ones that have been thrown, bear fruit. Only a small amount of the seeds, but the impact is tremendous. And seeds are pretty small. Then we get the parable of the wheat and the weeds that talks about the kingdom of God grows along with dynamics that are counter to the kingdom side by side till the end of the age. That's pretty slow. I mean, that, that, I, that picture that the entire world history of slowness, of how God's redemptive plan is going to work amidst frustration that will be there till the end. But then we get the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. I'm going to read those two. Here's another, another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes large, the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nest in its branches. Uh, I know, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever planted a grapevine. I've never planted mustard. Now, I've seen how a one mustard plant can turn into an invasion because we had garlic mustard take over our neighborhood, and one little slow-growing plant Somewhere in that neighborhood got big enough to put off a lot of seeds. Then we had our alert, and we had all the people from, uh, you know, different ecological groups, environmental groups in town. The people from Flow were there in our ravine taking care of the ravines. The friends of the ravine were there pulling out mustard seeds. But the picture that impacted me the most is I was at, I think this was at Hampton Court Palace in Richmond, uh, England, and they have this majestic garden there that's been there since like Henry VIII. And they had the roots of a grapevine. And I think of vines as always stringy. And sometimes I see these barky vines. Like if you go in the woods, you see those grapevines are about that thick. It's all grapevine that, where the base of it was as big as a VW bug. And it's the oldest grapevine known in the world that they've tended this grapevine. And it's put off, and there's been so many transplants from it and everything. And I was thinking, at no point, I mean, that took hundreds of years to get big. And then I've been to seminars for churches where they say, how to grow your church to be this, this, by this time at this. But when I look at these pictures in the Bible, it's almost always agrarian. I don't really see any mechanical I don't see mechanical kingdom growth. I see slow-growing trees. Or if we think of small, Jesus also used this illustration uh, to explain the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making a bread. Even she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour. It permeated every part of the dough. 
And Jesus, he always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. They fulfilled what God has spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. So, things hidden since the creation of the world. In the big cosmic message of the kingdom of God is, yeah, you know yeast, which we know, the, the yeast bacteria, like how much does it, yogurt does it take to start yogurt? You know, like someone, I remember I, I, we were into this making yogurt thing for a while, and someone gave me some yogurt and said, well, can you give me some more? Don't be so stingy. He goes, oh, you don't need any more yogurt. You just need this. Keep it the right temperature. It will grow. <laughs> and sure enough, it did. It's like, and now we know it with yeast, I mean, a seed is small, but how much smaller is a bacteria that can grow and change? Slow things, small things. Slow things, small things. And um, I feel like I've witnessed probably the biggest fruit of the slowest thing in my life was an hour and a half of forgiving someone that did this thing. And by the way, just so you know, there's certain sin, like, I, whenever I speak of forgiveness, there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation takes three people, you, God, and another person repenting. Forgiveness takes two people, you and God. Some of the people we need to forgive are no longer with us, right? Some people that have significantly hurt us may not even be on this planet, and there's still forgiveness work to be done. For reconciliation in certain situations is dangerous or be harmful or you would need to have very wise counsel maybe from fellow mature believers and a therapist maybe, especially if it's someone who's abused you. You can forgive someone and never see them another day in your life. You can forgive someone and maybe never should you see them another day in their life. So I always want to detangle reconciliation when it happens is the most beautiful thing in the world. It is beautiful. It takes more than just you wanting it. Uh, forgiveness is beautiful and also imperative. You die without it. But I was thinking of every, the, just basically the slow practices that got me there um, to this and I wanted to just share a couple things as we're going to the new year, and I really see next year of Central Vineyard being a year of equipping and training and slowness and transformation. Whatever the permutation of going forward is, is the one thing where I personally felt like a sense of creative exhaustion post-COVID is like really resourcing people for slowness. You know, it, just with, with being in a time of grieving, a lot of loss personally, and other things. And it's like the thing I'm most passionate about, I feel like I don't have the most to say about at this season in life. And I really look forward to growing this area because you can never top out in this. You know, I really, when people come to me and say, as a spiritually mature believer, which very few of you guys do that, it's not really part of our culture, but usually... It, it's followed by someone saying one of the most immature things I could imagine or judgmental or prideful things. You know what I mean? There's a sense of like uh, self-deprecating humor and humility that seems to be coupled with uh, maturity. Like, you know, Paul's saying, I haven't achieved all this. Every, this stuff I'm talking about, I'm still working on it. This is the Apostle Paul. Uh, uh, 
But I wanted to talk about a couple practices that I think even now, like a beginning, is what is something tiny that can begin a channel of grace in our lives? Whether we're stagnant or whether we're not started. What is something simple? And one thing I've known is part of my transformational journey, every part of it has been coupled with Scripture. Every part of it has been coupled with the Word of God. A lot of us have been fed the Word of God at one point, maybe in our childhood otherwise, that gave us an aversion or almost like this resistance. We feel bad about it sometimes, but maybe we have a a circumstantial resistance to getting into the Bible because maybe the way we approached it wasn't very fun. You know, I would say, you know, I, I love filet mignon, but if someone held me down and, made, and shoved it down my throat and made me eat filet mignon until I threw up, I don't know if I'd ever have filet mignon anymore. It takes, if you have a bad, ex, bad experience with something delicious, either consciously or unconsciously, and I uh, found the simple things of getting into the Word versus New Year's Eve, I would do this, is I found that listening to the Bible and listening to audio Bible instead of talk radio or music in the car for a couple years with the fact that I zoned out for 90% of it at least, 90% of the time, over the long haul transformed me significantly. because Not because it's a legalistic rule that we read the Scripture, but because the Christian life is an act of Holy Spirit-inspired and empowered improv. And what it is, is you keep listening to the story until you begin to improvise based off the story. Until you can start living out some fan fiction of the gospel. You know, like where you're reading, you know, if the Bible is, uh, first act is the first covenant, second act is Jesus comes and then his resurrection, and third act is you in our lives is the third act of Scripture, is how we improv Scripture in our lives. But that takes repetition. And if you feel bad, like I've so many people said, well, I can't really listen to audio stuff because I zone out. I said, oh, yeah. But let me tell you, if you hear, do you ever find yourself hearing a song from the 80s that you actually never liked, but you realize you know every word of it because it was in the background at a place you worked over and over and over? Again, like, I was never a big fan of Janet Jackson, but I know every song off of Rhythm Nation, and not, and I zoned out whenever I heard her records. But I'm saying, like, doing something and sucking at it on a regular basis can change your life. Doing something and sucking at it at a regular basis can change your life. So, for instance, I want to take... Um, uh, Two minutes now. Can everyone take out their phone? Hold it in front of you. Open up your app store. This is what I call, I want to do two quick wins here. Go to the app store, write B-I-B-L-E. Now, if you already have a Bible app you use, you can just uh, cheer on other people. If you don't have a Bible app on your phone, get one of the verbal one. So does everyone put Bible in? Now, do one, it's, if it's the right one, it's going to be free. Download. 
everyone push download. If you're on metered data, that's okay. You don't have to actually. And when you have one already downloaded or finished downloading, raise your hand. Okay. So when, it, by the way, raise your hand if you don't have your phone on you. Okay. After you finish downloading, I want you to drag the icon to your front page. And when you get there, I want you to open up your Bible to Matthew 13. And I, by the way, what translation is the best? The one you read. The one you can read the most. That typically changes for me. And I, I, I took uh, three years of Greek to get to that point, by the way. <laughs> you know. So, are we there at Matthew 13 yet? Okay. I want you to read Matthew 13 silently. Read verse 33 through 35. So I may be interrupting some of your guys' reading, but I want to say something. Every, almost everyone here opened up a Bible and read it. And I'm a big fan of First Church of the Quick Win. That is so small, literally. I already even read it today. No big deal, but you opened up the Bible. Now, can I tell you, I'm a big fan of analog books too. And for some of you that said, I don't like reading off the phone, your next action is Go to Amazon, even though they're evil, and f or find an indie bookstore and order a Bible. Guys, NIV, NLT, I don't care. Uh, get one that you, you think you'll read. By the way, NLT is probably one everyone can read and enjoy, or NIV, whatever. And buy yourself an analog Bible. Don't get a really tiny one, though, if you're over 30, because your eyes won't be able to use it very much longer, you know? And my other life hack that transformed my reading of Scripture is having a, but I got a big complaint letter about this because I talked about it much, is having a bathroom Bible. I had a bathroom Bible. It was a beat up, it was like someone gave me a men's study Bible. And I'm like, really? A men's study Bible? It's like, what, does it highlight all the voices, of, verses that mention penis or something? I don't know. What's a men's study Bible? You know, but it wasn't one I worried about putting in the bathtub. All right, so because occasionally I would fall asleep while reading the Bible, 
And I actually had a version of the Lord of the Rings that was a bathtub Lord of the Rings, too. But, and I like baths. I would take baths, uh, lavender, I mean, you know, uh, and I would read, and any time I felt slight, and I had some digestive issues, I would spend a little more time in the bathroom than some people, and I would read a couple verses every time. Now, that's ridiculous, but habit stacking, habit stacking is one thing everyone does is they drop a deuce during the day, so I habit stacked with Bible. And listen, I, and listen, this seems really profane, but it works. And I'm just trying to emphasize how something so small like, if you haven't read the Word, I'm not talking about some big read-a-Bible-in-a-year plan. You can get there. By the way, there's some apps that make it so much easier. And I used to have a checklist. Now I just have an app. And if you zone out listening to audio Bibles, keep in mind, it was hundreds of years before anyone could read the Bible. 99.99% of Christians had to listen to someone read it. And they were humans, so they zoned. But my thing is, if you, someone reads the whole book of Mark and you remember one thing, that's one thing you remember, that you don't remember when you're just feeling ashamed for not being a good Bible reader and never doing it. So I'm saying like tired old folks or people that haven't initiated, I'm saying these are two examples. Part of what kept forgiveness at the front of my mind was always reading about Jesus. Because 90% of my convictions about things I do and I don't do in this life, are not mentioned in the Bible. Because I live 2,000 years on from these Jesus stories, and half of the boundaries and disciplines I use, I mean, there's certain things. The Bible talks a lot about silence and slowness and smallness. But the specific ways I live this out in my life, 90% of it's improv. I read a bunch of Jesus-y stuff till I can tell when something is Jesus-y and what it isn't Jesus-y. And it came from just routinely interacting with the Holy Word of God as an act of worship, bringing my best and most frail self and screwing up 80% of it. You know, spending time in silences, I would sit in silence trying to just kind of clear my head, allow my head to be clear and present to God. You know, some people call it centering prayer. And, you know, I would sit for 20 minutes, I would have about 30 seconds of actual like mental silence before God. And when I started doing that, it was probably the first 30 seconds of mental silence I've had my whole life. So it was a win. But your shame voice is saying, you're pathetic. Look, you're only doing this. It's like, dude, let's all be pathetic together. It's much better to be pathetic and growing than apathetic and giving up. So... But prayer, you know, taking time to pray, is like, I'm the, I love one-sentence prayers. Or you really want to get long, the Lord's Prayer is pretty long. But I've, uh, one prayer I pray before I go into any circumstance of my life. It's, become, it's from the Psalms, and Jesus prayed it before he died. And it's the prayer, into your hands, I commend my spirit. I didn't even make this prayer up. I plagiarized this one. <laughs> and I find in my season of life now, there's not a prayer I pray more. I pray this even more the Lord's Prayer or the Jesus Prayer. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. And with everything. And if you can just have one sentence that you bring before God on a regular basis, 
you have a reminder somewhere or something like, if you can have one sentence you give to God every day, that's the beginning of a prayer life. So I'm going to give you a minute to come up with one sentence that feels appropriate, like, it can be, help me, Jesus. That's another one of mine. Or please don't let me die. I've had a lot of near-death experiences. So, um, so I want to just, I'm going to be silent for a minute. I want you to think of your one sentence prayer and then take time to pray one sentence to Christ. Amen. So what you all did right now is you thought of something you wanted to say to God, you stopped and took time to say it. So for many of us, this has been a reinitiation of two of several core ways we connect with Jesus Christ and nurture our life. And that should be celebrated. It's not like, I can't believe I only... Dude, did you know Jesus is the easiest one to please you'll ever run into? It's like someone would get one thing right about the kingdom of God. Someone says, oh, you, you don't need to make this road trip, Jesus. Just do the long-distance heal. And Jesus stops it. I've never been more excited my entire life. Let's have a party. What great faith. You know, it's like people are hard to please. Jesus is easy to please. And I say Jesus is pleased with you. Jesus is pleased with you. This, um, a couple... You know, I go on my kicks. If you've heard Wind in the Willows, you know, Mr. Toad's always getting into a new thing and goes deep. I went deep into survivalist training, not because I, because more of a back-to-earther than a prepper. You know, there's different kinds of people that learn survival skills. There's people that love nature and people that want to storm Washington. And I was more of the nature side, all right? It, but it's funny, my training was about half and half, so it got kind of interesting. But I learned, now, those of you who've known, especially Brian Carlson might have been witnessed a few times, I wanted to have a fire in the backyard, so I put all this construction debris in the center of my big fire can of totally hillbilly in, in Glen Echo. We've, and then I would pour gasoline over it and throw this, or denatured alcohol, whatever flammable, and then half the time it would go, boom, and then there wouldn't be a fire because I didn't take time to season and dry out the wood. One time I shot my, I didn't, I got a little over-enthusiastic and I poured paint thinner directly over what a fire didn't get done and had an explosion blew me across the yard and all my neighbors came and I couldn't hear them but they were all telling me what an idiot I was, right? And then I, but part of this season of my life, I learned how to make a bow fire by getting the right wood, slowly getting the birch done and having from sawdust to finding the certain kinds of trees that have like pine bark you know the bottom bits that are a little purple to big things and the thing was uh you had to start out really small and within 15 minutes boiling two quarts of water instead of pouring two gallons of gas and not having a fire started within seconds i learned how to settle down beavis and do this thing and to me, it was like one of the most impactful things is learning to start a fire with a, a friction fire and then learning to actually boil two things of water. And it was like 
the smallest things. I took time to start, I always think about gathering kindling, not really how much you need your smalls, and that you need tinder, and then you need spark. And I feel like that's where I'm at in my life, is just every, learning how everything can be small. And I am coming from a period of burnout, and I am so looking forward to the season of continuing as a, a, a member of this community, a, a pastor in this community, you know, by the way, pastoring, it doesn't mean you're in charge per se, and pastoring doesn't mean you get paid per se. None, you know, the early church, to become a pastor was to become unemployed, <laughs> you know, nine times out of ten. And maybe if you could make tents like Paul, he had some side hustles that helped subsidize. Uh, but I'm not going to be the point guy. And I'm looking forward to just being able to dive deep in the slow again and have uh, a d different voices speak into the creativity of slowness in my life. And I encourage you, it, it, just in this Advent season, maybe it's just a one sentence of God a day. Maybe it's, you know, I took a class on how to read Moby Dick. Who's been able to make it through Moby Dick? Who's tried to make it through Moby Dick? Okay, so here's how you read Moby Dick, one page a day. Well, that's too little. Well, guess what? Most people that try one page get three page, and they're three page chapters. And I'm loving it. I'm actually loving it. I took a class, How to Read Moby Dick, and I listen to these lectures, and I do it. It's one page a day. And um, I'm realizing the whole world is catching on to this, by the way. It's that small and slow wins the race. It's like neuroscience is basically saying all these things that the monastic tradition have taught for years work and here's the fmri scans to prove it so friends um final note is i want to share one simple transformative thing that happened with me and adrian and then i went way over let's all stand and uh, we have communion folks come up i'll say this final thing um is during uh it was really hard to read the bible in some ways during covid and I've always sucked at doing family devotions. And then, uh, but this G.K. Chesterton quote really inspired me. He says, whatever's worth doing is worth doing poorly. And so, and I'll pardon my language here a little bit, but Adrian and I said, well, let's just do this real simple liturgy. Coffee, sit down, let's read a few verses. And if we want to share anything, we can, but we're probably too tired. And then let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Oh, and then we ask each other, what's before you today? All right? 95% of the time, we have no reflection on the scripture we read. We just read a short bit. She reads too long and say, okay, I'm full. What do you have before you? What do you have before you? The Lord's Prayer. And we call it lads. Um, and I'll use a substitute word for the A. We call it lame attempts at devotions. But we call it lame devotions. And I said, and I loved it because it would just do something. And we ended up doing that for how many years since the lockdown started? And I found out, wow, this is trans... I, I pick up the Bible a lot more during the day because of sucking at something on a routine basis. And uh, let's, we'll, we'll close with that. Uh, Father God, I ask that you would help us to give our pathetic attempts to you to make into something that's beautiful. Because even though we say it's pathetic, God, I know you are impressed by smallness. 
You are impressed with slowness, and you always have more. We turn now to communion, or the Lord's Supper, or um, N.T. Wright calls it the Jesus meal. And it's something we do over and over and over again. And it's one of those small practices that has the space to transform us. So we're here at this table because Jesus extends to us an invitation. Strangers and friends, believers and doubters, the certain and the curious. It's always a mixed company that Jesus gathers and invites to his table, where in bread and cup, we who are different are joined together as one body. Come to this table not because you understand, but because you are understood. Come not because of how you feel, but because God has food for you. Come not because you feel deserving, but because Jesus invites you and welcomes you just as you are. And so scripture invites us to examine ourselves before coming to this table. We become aware of our faults so that we can receive grace in our time of need. We confess so that we can partner with God for our healing. And we confess together through the confession song. So hear these words of grace from scripture. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we share in this story, place yourself at Jesus' table. Imagine him hosting you this morning. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. Would you pray with me? Send now your spirit among us. Come with your presence in this bread and in this cup that as we come forward and present ourselves to you as living sacrifices, we may taste and see your goodness. We may be united in your love and become one body, your hands and feet in this world. Amen. So I'd invite the prayer team to be on the side. Um, here at CV, we have an open table. All of the bread up here is gluten-free, and we partake by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup. Come and eat. And as you come forward, we also invite you to receive prayer for anything. Any, we believe God wants to speak to us. If you feel like you have a certain word that God is speaking to the congregation, please come up and let us know.